Good morning. It's always a blessing to be with you. It's especially great today to see faces of visitors who have come back to ACU for this weekend. Uh, we're just grateful uh, for you to join us this morning as we gather around the throne of grace with confidence and thanksgiving with the hope that we will be changed, that we will be transformed. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for this church family. We thank you for the community that you have created for us through the life and the love of your son. And we pray that as we open up your word, that we will be people who not only listen, but are changed by that word, recreated by that word. God, we know that as much as you have changed us and transformed us, that you aren't through with us yet. And so we pray for the courage, for the patience, for the expectation, for the hope that the best is yet to come, not only in our lives, but in the lives of the people of this world. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Peter had just reached the airport when he reached down and realized that he had left his wallet in the taxi cab that he had just gotten out of. This is in New York City, and his hopes of finding that wallet in time for his flight, and especially with all of his credit cards and ID cards and money, he felt like were really low. So he scrambles to try to figure out who to call. He, he gets a number, he calls a, a shift supervisor, and he starts to explain that he left his wallet in a cab, and it doesn't have just $20 or a few hundred dollars. It has $5,950 in it. It was going to be a down payment for his first car. And as he's frantically trying to explain it, you, you know how you feel in that moment. Right, that your, your stomach is sinking and you're sure that this story isn't going to go the way you, you hope it will. While he's in the middle of that phone call, a taxi cab pulls up at the curb right in front of him. And it's the very same cab that he's just been in. And the driver rolls down the window and hands to him his wallet without a single bill missing. And as Peter starts to thank this taxi cab driver for his honesty and, and just being a good guy, he says, you know, there's all kinds of people that would have just walked away with this money. What, what made you come back and give it to me? And without hesitation, the driver says, I, I believe in God, and I believe that God is watching everybody all the time, and that money didn't belong to me. And so I had no choice but to bring it back to the person it belonged to. Now, you hear a story like that, you read it in the, the newspaper, on a website, and, and I'm drawn to those kinds of stories because I know in, in many cases how that story would have played out. Because we live in a world that has honest people full of integrity in it, but we also have plenty of people in our world who would have come up with all kinds of reasons why, if you were unlucky enough to lose your wallet and they were lucky enough to find it, why they needed to keep that money. You really should have been more careful with it or they could really use it and it was perfect timing for something that they, that they needed to come across a, a big pile of money and, and before you know it, you would have never seen that money again. Now, I know that, that I'm preaching to the choir here or, I, or Church of Christ, the, the praise team, but... <laughs> 
I know that, that, that wouldn't be, you know, the, the first instinct of almost anybody in this room to take that money for, for yourself and just keep it, that you'd want to try to do the right thing, that to, to find Peter and give him his $5,950 back. I know that just like that taxi cab driver, you and I share a faith that believes that God is always with us, walking beside us, always watching us, hoping that we'll do the right things in the right ways for the right reasons. But I also know from my own experience that while I believe that, while I have that conviction that God is always with me, God is always watching me, hoping for me to do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons, that there are times it just doesn't feel that way. That I don't have a strong, overwhelming sense of God's enveloping presence right there with me, beside me. And And to make matters a little more complicated than that, our tests of character and integrity, they almost are never as obvious as an overflowing wallet full of money. It's usually something that, that we don't really see coming. It's a question that somebody asks us. And before we know it, our response to that question is something that we would have to to honestly say, isn't the whole truth. It's, it's a little bit of spin, and it's a little bit of what we think they would want to hear or, or what we think they would want us to say to them, even if it isn't the whole truth. And so we start to talk, and, and we, we end up making ourselves look better, maybe making someone else look worse. We might describe a situation in a way that would lead that person into it with, with incomplete information and cause them to do something they maybe wouldn't otherwise do. And, and a lot of times we don't realize that we're shading the truth like that until we walk away from that conversation, we start to think about it, and we realize what we've done. You and I may, may not be thieves who take things that, that don't belong to us, but we are more than capable of using our words to steal away from others any real sense of what's actually going on. And it's, it's not like this is a new thing that people do with their words when they speak to one another, when they listen to each other. I mean, using words to, to kind of shade the truth is as old as the snake talking to Eve and saying that, well, some things might happen, but it won't be all bad when you take the fruit from the forbidden tree that God has told you to stay away from. I mean, twisted words have been twisting lives since the very beginning. And we don't like to think about it. We, we don't like to admit it. But we often find that when we, we begin to talk to somebody in our lives about something that matters a lot to us, something that, that directly impacts us, that if we're not careful we start to twist our words. And as we twist our words, we start to twist their hearts. We start to, to hurt them without ever raising a finger against them. Open your Bible up to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse 33. Jesus talks about this temptation. As he tries to deepen our understanding of the heart of the law, he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, Don't make a false, solemn pledge, but you should follow through on what you have pledged to the Lord. 
But I say to you that you must not pledge at all. You must not pledge by heaven because it's God's throne. And you must not pledge by earth because it's God's footstool. You you must not pledge by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. And you must not pledge by your head because you can't turn one hair white or black. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Now these words come to us from the Sermon on the Mount, one of the best collections of Jesus' words that we have available to us today. And, and Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been talking about for the past several weeks, is trying to describe to us in ways that we can understand the good life that God wants for each one of us to have. The, the life filled with blessing, the life filled with mercy, the life filled with truth. A truth that has the power, Jesus says, to set us free. And so he's he's talking to Jewish men and women in this passage who are very familiar with hearing people all around them in day-to-day business affairs swearing by all kinds of things to try to prove to one another that they are telling each other the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, they didn't exactly swear on a Bible or on their mother's graves, but they, they swore on all kinds of things. On God, by, you know, they would swear to God, they would swear on heaven, they would swear on earth, they would swear on their own life. They, they had all of these different phrases that were commonly used, and they weren't commonly used in honest ways. They were actually expected to be carefully crafted, almost verbal riddles that were filled with legal loopholes to let somebody who's making a sweeping promise out of that promise. Now, I'd love to say that we live in a world where that's no longer the case, where people use their words to to sound like they're making sweeping promises to one another, but all the while they're trying to say it in a way that would allow them, unless they're just absolutely forced to, to have a way out of that commitment, out of that promise. I mean, you and I, it's not just news headlines where we're reminded that people are trying to find ways out of their commitments, trying to find ways out of, out of their promises. It's something that we, we realize in our own conversations and in our own email inboxes. It's, it's something that we have to live with every single day, that, that people use words in order to help us hear something, to lead us somewhere, all the while giving themselves a way to break those same words. And to still be technically, perhaps legally, right. Now, when people in Jesus' time would swear to God, according to the Jewish law, that was binding. But all these other promises, all these other things they would swear to, well, they were experts at figuring out how to say something and not mean it. You and I, in our our world, we, we see those kinds of things often play out not just between two individual people, but if it gets bad enough, it's going to involve a courtroom and a jury and a judge. And once it gets to that place, it never ever has the outcome that anybody in that situation would have wanted from the beginning. And it's, it's not just in courtrooms and technical legal documents that we experience this. It's other rooms that we would rather not admit, right? Conference rooms and living rooms and, and kitchen tables and sometimes even in church buildings because it doesn't really matter where we happen to be. Be, 
We know that if somebody is talking with us, that we have to listen very carefully to see if there's any possible way that they might be shading the truth as they speak to us. And we know that that's not just a temptation for them. We know, if we're honest with ourselves, that it's always a great temptation for us. I mean, how often have you been in a situation where somebody praises you for something you're not really responsible for, and you don't correct them? How often have you found yourself in a conversation with someone where something's gone wrong, and and through a conversation with you, through, through change, exchanging words together, you start to realize that there's somebody other than you you can kind of shift the blame to. And you do. And then they believe you. And they go to that other person. And you kind of let those things play out, thinking, well, I might have some responsibility, but... You, you and I know exactly how this works because it's not something that just goes on in somebody else's heart, in somebody else's life. It goes on in our lives. We, we struggle with constantly weighing how we're going to say what we're about to say in a way that will benefit us. Now, there are times when you can tell somebody the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and things will turn out really well. But there are many times where we get afraid that if we tell somebody the whole truth about a situation or our role in that situation, that somehow things will not turn out the way we want them to. And so we start to use our words to change reality itself, to reframe the facts, to to spin them in a direction that would benefit us. And because we do that at times, we often assume somebody else is doing that same thing to us, and so we're suspect. We're cynical. We hold other people at arm's length as they talk to us and describe their life to us. And that is not the way of life. That is not the good life that God wants for us. When we talk with someone, it should always be about building a better relationship with them or building a better world with them for the sake of Christ. That's why we should talk to other people. And as soon as we start talking to somebody, and the real reason that we're we're talking to them, if we're honest, is we're trying to get them on our side. We're we're trying to get them to do something we want them to do because of some self-focused agenda that we have. We have moved into very dangerous territory that almost always leads to deception. And nobody, nobody wants to be used. Nobody wants us to say whatever we have to say to get them to do whatever it is we want them to do. You can't love someone and see them that way. You just can't because loving someone means seeing all of them, the good, the bad, the ugly, and and choosing to care about them anyway. You, You can't label someone as a person who who you can use to get something you want and still hold on to at the same time the rich complexity of all their hopes and dreams and fears. In your rush to get things done your way through using that person, you glance at all of that, and if you're honest, you see them them in this out-of-focus blur. And and once you've done that to them, right, you, you start to just 
have this mental list as you're talking to them of, of the ways they can benefit you or the ways they may, might get in your way in, in terms of an outcome. And so you start to, to talk in ways that you know you'll need to talk in order to, to get the outcome that you want. And, and once somebody is, is an object that you're using or an obstacle that's in your way, you, you're not going to speak truthfully to them because speaking truthfully, openly, with vulnerability and authenticity is the hardest way to speak to another person. And once you've reduced them to how they can help you or hurt you, you're not going to take the time. You're not going to, to make the effort to try to see all of who they are and honor all of who they are as a child dearly loved by God. And so... We may say things like yes and no, but we also start to slip into phrases that have a lot more flexibilities in that. Maybe, I think so, I'm pretty sure. That's how I remember it anyway. Uh, Let me get back to you on that. We all know how hard it is to have such deep integrity that we always say exactly what we mean, no more and no less. You and I are constantly tempted to weigh the difference in cost of speaking truthfully and bending the truth just a little bit. What will a white lie get me that the truth won't? What will a misleading statement, what will it get me that the truth can't? We're doing this constant emotional arithmetic while we are talking to one another. And, and we start to wonder what might happen if we whisper something to that person, especially if they're a person who has more power in the situation than we do, and we tell them just enough. Maybe it's not that we tell them anything that's really untruthful, but it's not the entire truth of what's going on. We tell them just enough to get them worked up and to go out and to intervene on our behalf. And what we're really mostly doing is using them so that we're not the person who has to get into the conflict. We're not the person who has to speak the truth to somebody else. We get them worked up and we send them into that situation and and we know that they don't know what they're getting into. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, Jesus says. But I think often we, we want to use language that allows us a lot more flexibility than that. You and I, we, we may not be thieves that, that take what doesn't belong to us, but you and I are more than capable of using our words to steal away from other people any real sense of what's actually going on. And what's the ultimate cost of all this? What's it, what's it going to cost us? when we are constantly calculating whether or not we're going to tell it like it is to somebody in our life? What's the price for us saying things that aren't quite true to get outcomes we desperately want to come true? Healthy relationships. Real relationships that make life worth living. That's the cost of not telling the truth. And we all know it. Because every single person in this room knows that there's one thing, and only one thing that you can build a healthy relationship on, and it's trust. It's trust. Trust that that you are who you say you are. Trust that you've done what you've told me you've done, 
and that you'll do what you've promised to do no matter how hard it gets. Trust that you would never tell me a version of a story and then turn around and tell somebody else a slightly different version so that you'd, you'd start to control how other people are acting based on half-truths and shaded truth and all the other things that we tend to do when we try to get our own way no matter what it costs our relationships. The only thing that we can really do in order to build a friendship, a marriage, a partnership. It's trust, unwavering, unfailing, unshakable, unlimited trust. And the way you build trust is by telling the truth. Not just the truth about situations, not just the truth about other people, but the truth about yourself, which is often, I find, the most difficult truth for us to tell. Because I think we are so used to relationships being about us using each other in polite ways that we're afraid that if that person finds out the whole truth about us, that they're going to discard us. They're going to walk away from that friendship or that marriage or that partnership. And so it's not just uh, a need to manipulate or control that, that can lead us to be dishonest about ourselves to somebody we care about. It can actually be that the more we care about somebody, the less likely we are to tell them the truth because we know how much we need them in our lives and we're so used to having relationships of convenience, relationships that benefit us and benefit the other person mutually. And then if we start to get worried that it's, it's not all equal, Right, that we're going through a season in that friendship or that marriage or that relationship where we are having to take more than we're able to give because of, of a struggle we're going through or a situation we're suffering through that we can't tell the whole truth because they might walk away. They might leave us. I mean, why is it that church might be the place you're most tempted to lie about how you're actually doing? Because we're afraid. Because we've all had moments where we've told the truth, the whole truth about ourselves to somebody else, and it was never the same again. We're so used to other people trying to figure out a way verbally out of commitments that we have learned how to mimic that until we start to think it's just the way things are. And Jesus says, no. No. Why would you risk ruining your relationships or creating counterfeit relationships that aren't based on reality at all? They're, they're based on carefully crafted versions of reality that you think are going to be attractive to somebody else. So in the end, it's not a real relationship anyway. It's something you've got to maintain, and it's exhausting. And at some point, you're not going to be able to keep it going. Jesus says, no. That's not the life I envisioned for you. That's not the good life God created you to experience. The good life God wants for you is for you to have the closest people in your life know you for real. Know everything about you. And that you trust that relationship. And that they can trust you in return. And that it's not about mutual benefit as much as it's about us coming to the reality that the, that the deepest truth about us is not that, that there's some way we're going to wake up one day and be perfect. The deepest truth about us 
is that we were never created to do this on our own. We were never created to do this on our own. From the very beginning, God created us to need God in our lives and to have that relationship built on honesty and trust. And God created us to need one another and have those relationships built on authenticity and vulnerability and the fact that when we're scared, we admit we're scared. And when we're struggling, we can say that we're struggling. And when we're, we're depressed, we can tell somebody that, that we, we don't remember the last time we felt good about something, that, that we, we'd find somebody where we could tell the truth and be set free. I'm afraid for us that, that we are caught up, even in our spiritual lives, in desperate image management. That we're caught up in our prayer life in trying to describe ourselves and our hearts and our desires in a way that we think will make God happy as if we're fooling God somehow about who we really are and the things we're really dealing with. God knows every single thing about you. God knows every single thing about you, but I think you were created in a way where you need to tell God every single thing about you. And not just God, but you, you've got to have somebody in your life that can be that person for you. That, that physical manifestation of God's unconditional love that's built on unwavering trust. That no matter what you've done, you matter to me. That, that no matter what you, ha- you, you failed to do, that I believe in you. That no matter what, you can tell me. And I'll listen, and I'll care, and I'll be there for you, no matter what. Do you feel that confidence in your closest relationships? God longs for you to live that way. Not just every once in a while, but every single day of your life, that you would have that kind of trust, that you'd be able to speak that truth, and that we would never run the risk of losing what we share with another person in a relationship in order to get something else that we think that person can get us. That we wouldn't put that that sacred trust at risk for something that's not even close to worth it. It's, it's time, brothers and sisters, for us to stop making that mistake. It's, it's time for us to learn more and more how to be people who grow past all the maybes and the I'll try tos and the probablys and simply be people who, when we're asked the question, we tell the truth. That our yes is our yes and our no is our no. And when somebody enters into a relationship with us where we make commitments to one another and we make promises to one another, we are not trying to find a way out of those commitments when it gets hard to keep them, but that everybody in our life knows we can be depended on, that we're going to do everything within our power to be who we say we are and to do what we say we're going to do. It's time for us to be the people who are worth trusting in a world that is starving for lack of trust. It is time for us to be people who tell the truth no matter where it might lead us, even if it leads us to a cross. When I think about 
being somebody who, who tells the truth even when it's costly. The, the first person I think about in my life is my father, who has been a minister from the first year I was born. So as far back as I can remember, my dad's been a preacher. And my dad started out in congregations where if you tried really hard to stick it out as a preacher, you were lucky to make it two years. And it was, it was almost always because the preacher had, was either had or was suspected of having an idea, a belief, that the elders or somebody else in the church weren't sure about. And so there were these moments in my dad's career where it was, it was a test of fellowship, right? A conversation between my dad and church leaders. Everything was at stake in terms of our future in that church. And my dad, time after time, chose to tell the truth. And so for much of my childhood, it felt like every 24 months or so, my dad would come home from an elder meeting and say, well, we need to get a U-Haul. We're moving again. I remember uh, one specific time, my, my dad had been asked, told really, that he had to preach a sermon that, that Christian universities and orphans' homes and any institution outside of the church was sinful and that anybody who went to a church that supported those parachurch organizations were going to hell. And my dad prayed about it and talked about it. And I remember my parents talking at the dinner table. And I remember my dad asking me on the way out. He was going to the meeting and he said, son, pray for me. Pray for me that I can tell them the truth about what I believe. And came home three hours later and we were getting a U-Haul. How often does telling the truth cost you. It almost always costs you something. It, it may not cost you a job. It may not cost you a relationship, but it could cost you the way you think somebody else sees you. It, it could cost you your own sense of being able to depend on somebody else because you tell them the truth and this, they vanish. It could cost you uh, your, your sense of hope and hopefulness. In, in a situation or for a family or for a, a workplace or for a church. It, it always costs us something to tell the truth, but it never costs us as much as lying. It, it never costs us as much as, as running away from the truth. So let us, in the coming days, let us be people who no matter the cost, no matter the fear of what it's going to mean for us to open our hearts up and be vulnerable, be authentic, be honest, let us trust in Jesus and in God when they tell us that the truth is the only way we're ever going to be set free. They know better than we do. I think we struggle to believe that at times. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they know better than we do what it takes to be fully alive, to have the good life. And it's a life that's built on trust. It's a life that's built on truth. 
We're going to sing together now, and as we do, we're going to have some shepherding couples just out these, outside of these double doors near a prayer room. And if you came this morning with any concern in your heart, if uh, something during our worship service convicted you of something or reminded you of something, and you want to talk to a Christian couple, you want to pray. Uh, if you want to know more about our church family, if you want to know more about what it looks like to follow Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus, they're there to receive you, to talk with you, to pray over you. So go to them as together we stand and sing.